Welcome to the Grace Point Church Podcast. Here at GPC, we want you to know God, love people, and live sent. From wherever you're listening, we hope you're encouraged by this week's message. If you want to learn more about Grace Point, head over to gracepointchurch.net. And now, this week's message. I don't know about you, but I look back over the past couple of years, and it seems to me as if we are in a perpetual state of disruption. Uh, you know, whether it's elections or it's, or it's, uh, or it's COVID or it's, or, or it's the economy, it's like this, this constant, is the world ever going to settle down a little bit? Whatever the normal is, let's get to some kind of normal. But, you know, the word disruption is one of those that, that is kind of, we throw it out a lot today. Um, we throw it out around, again, COVID is one of those disruptions in our life. If you uh, get laid off, there's a job disruption. If something is introduced or brought into your marriage that is tragic or big or something like that, it can cause a disruption in the family. A move across the country can cause a disruption in a family. Things like that are all parts and parcels of what a disruption is. But there's also in this world called product disruptions. And when you think about it, from those of you who are in the business world, you know what I'm thinking about. In fact, here's an example of one of those product disruptions. In January 2007, uh, this was introduced. This little device has been disrupting our life ever since, right? Would you agree with that? Amen? All right. So anyway, it was introduced. Up until that point, the, the big deal was to have a Razer flip phone. Do you remember how cool it was to have the Razer flip phone? Uh, but now we go into, maybe some of y'all still have the Razer flip phone, sorry. Uh, uh, 2007, the f- iPhone was introduced. It's revolutionized everything. If you don't believe me, talk to people uh, in Kodak, talk to people at Nokia, at Blackberry. Remember the Crackberry? I mean, that was the thing of the past. Those, those things are like nearly gone now. Uh, even if they exist, they exist in a different form, Nokia. All these are forms. The thing is, is that this little instrument has been such a disruption. It's changed how we communicate. It's changed the phone system in which we now no longer have landlines, many. Uh, It changed healthcare. It's changed even the music industry. It's changed everything just about of our lives, even how we function as individuals. That is a disruption. Steve Jobs did a great job of interrupting, a, or, interrupting or causing a disruption into our world, into, our, into the products in which we live. Uh, as much as Jobs was a disruption, Jesus is a disruption. Now, please don't throw stones at me or anything like that. Yes, I, mean, I believe, I mean that when I say that Jesus is a disruption. He's a disruption into the status quo. He's a disruption into religion. He's a disruption into a system that's been in place for over 2,000 years when he's on the scene. Now, what we're talking about in this series, we just kicked it off last week, and we've been talking about the different perspectives on Jesus, uh, not necessarily Mary and, and, and uh, uh, James or John or, 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 or maybe the, the disciples, Peter or the, those guys. Those, those guys were all in, okay? Um, it's, it's more like the fringe people. It's more like the people on the outside of the faith. It's people like this that even though they're sometimes even look like insiders, they actually may be on the outside just pretending to be on the inside. If you remember, we talked about Judas last week. 
Judas saw Jesus as more of an influencer, but really Jesus is our identity. Hanging out with Jesus and hanging out with Jesus' uh, people, but actually Jesus is making a difference in our life because he is our identity. He's changing our conversations. He's changing our marriages. He's changing how we parent. He's changing how we do business. He's literally everything about our life. That is when Jesus is our identity. Today, we're going to talk about another man. We're going to talk about Caiaphas. Caiaphas, Jesus was a disruptor, period. End of story. Stop. But in reality, he was a completer. He was completing the story that God was writing from the very beginning, rewriting and redeeming the story of Adam and Eve. He is completing the story that is messed up, that is off track. He's bringing us back. But yet all that, all that Caiaphas saw was he was a disruptor. He was messing up the, the status quo. He is moving the cheese, if you will, upon, upon the world. Listen. I said this last week, what you believe and what you do with Jesus is the single most important decision that you will make in your life. So we're leading up to Easter because we know people, I know people, you know people that we could bring along on this journey and we're helping us to hopefully grow in a couple areas because the aim of this series is this is that your confidence in Jesus will grow stronger and that your love for Jesus will grow deeper. I hope that it's not just we're going through some religious practices and you're listening to some biological stories of of various and sundries of people, but actually what you're doing is the confidence in who Jesus is and your love for Jesus is maturing and becoming, and it's not just, again, a level of head knowledge. So again, if you look at the people that we're going to be looking at, and you look at them in a timeline in the last 24 hours, it kind of, we're going to begin the stopwatch, if you will, with Judas. Judas begins the storyline. Judas betrays Jesus. Judas then turns Jesus over to the religious leaders, which then takes the religious guards, take Jesus to Caiaphas' house. So what you read, what you heard from the Wilkinsons a little bit earlier is Jesus arriving at Caiaphas' house after the betrayal, and now he's standing there in front of them. Now, who else are we going to look at? We're going to look at uh, Pilate next week, Barabbas the next week, the two criminals leading up to the centurion soldier that we'll talk about on Good Friday. Hopefully, you'll be a part of that. But let me just talk about Caiaphas today. Caiaphas was a big deal, and I can't say that enough. I mean, I will say this. He had many leather-bound books, and his office smelt like mahogany. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. He, he was a big deal in that culture. He was a big deal in that society. He was a big deal in the religious faith. He was the anchor, if you will, of modern-day Judaism. There was no higher-ranking Sadducee, no higher-ranking official in all of Judaism. So I'm trying just to emphasize how he sets in the pecking order. Now let's talk about this whole high priest thing. And please put on your thinking caps with me today. I know it's going to be really hard. We lost an hour of sleep. But put on your thinking caps with me today because we're going to cover the entire span of the Bible. When I say that, we're going to go at least back to Moses and Aaron because Aaron was the high priest. And some of this, I'm going to do a lot of history today, but it is tying and hopefully makes the whole Bible make sense to you. So Moses, the great prophet who's leading the people of Israel out so that they could be free in this world, God 
appointed and called Aaron to be the very first high priest of the people of Israel. That's going to be significant because 2,000 years later, as far as we know, there has never been a time, maybe in exile, there has never been a time that there was not the significant role of a high priest. There may not be a prophet, there may not be a king, there may not be a, a other things, but there is always a high priest. And there's always that element of worship of God that is so, so important. And Caiaphas is the high priest from about AD 18 to 36. So if you look at it, the, pretty much the entire life from teenage years to Jesus' crucifixion, Caiaphas is the high priest. He is large and in charge. In rides a Galilean, uneducated, carpenter boy, rides in on a colt with a bunch of fishermen and uneducated rebels come behind him in a parade into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, the day leading up to Passover, the holiest, one of the holiest days of all of, uh, of all of Judaism, and yet there's this guy coming in on a colt, and they're yelling, Hosanna, 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 which means pray, we're praying that you save us. Can you imagine the disruption in Caiaphas's mind? He's sitting here thinking, I got to get things ready for the Passover. And there's this Galilean riding in on a colt, and he's being praised. And they're praying out that they that this guy, this dude on a on a colt, is going to save us. Again, this is not new news. He's not new in the character of uh, of, of the story, but it is creating a great disruption on the whole scheme of things. Listen, when you look at Jesus and we get to know the storyline of Jesus, Jesus is not trying to push religion on us. He is trying to invite us into a relationship with him. What Caiaphas was trying to do was to hold the line on religion. Hold the line on the established religion of the day and the time. But what Jesus was doing was not necessarily trying to turn all that over. In fact, he's going to live out all of the law to dot and tittle. But what he's trying to do is I'm just trying to complete the law. I'm just trying to invite you into a relationship and not just into a religion. And you see this when he goes to the cross. And it says in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, For... Christ also suffered for sin, once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous that he might bring us to God. Not bring us to religion, not bring us to an institution, but bring us to God to be in a relationship with him. Let's talk about Caiaphas and how he sees Jesus and understands Jesus as the great disruptor. And I hope what again today you will see is a greater confidence and a deeper love for who Jesus is. So again, if you have your Bibles, look at Matthew with me. Matthew chapter 26. The latter part of that chapter, we'll be jumping back into that passage that the Wilkinsons read a little bit earlier. But let's talk about disruptions. Let's talk about disruption number one. Jesus disrupts the power and the influence of the day. He disrupts the power and the influence of the day. And when I say that, you've got to understand, I'm sure you've read this, heard this, seen this before, but there's a difference between positional power and relational power. 
Positional power is where you are positionally given the, a place of authority. You have a title, you have a rank, you have a, maybe a salary, you have an office, you have positional authority, you can rule by force, if you will, because of your rank and your position in the company. Because you're a teacher and you're a teacher in the school, you can rule over your classrooms, and that's a positional authority. Because you're a parent in your family, you have positional authority. And you can say, because I am your mother, I brought you into this world, I can take you out of the world. You can do, say all kinds of things like that, but better not do it. The point is, is that you have positional authority. Jesus didn't have positional authority. He had zero power, but he had incredible influence. He had relational authority. Relational authority, like opposite of positional authority, positional authority is demanded. Relational authority is given. Given by the person who is willing to be under your authority. Positional authority will get work done because they will rule with a task uh, rule on the task, relational authority will change the world. Think about it like that. When Caiaphas comes across Jesus in, in chapter 26, verse 3 and 4, it says, Caiaphas plotted together in order to arrest Jesus by stealth and to kill him. Now, you see in the beginning of the chapter 26 that it was desire, it was his, it was his plan that by stealth that they're going to arrest and to kill him. A few verses later, all the way down to verse 57, it says, and those who seized Jesus brought Jesus to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were gathered. Now, this is important because this is pretty much the religious leaders of that day. According to the Mishnah, the first section of the Talmud, one of the holy books of the Jewish faith, it says that there are 70 members of this religious council. And again, at the very top of that positional authority is Caiaphas. And Caiaphas gets all the guys together, brings them into a room, and now they're going to set Jesus down. And we pick it up in verse 59 uh, with this. And it says, And now the chief priest and the whole council were seeking false testimonies against Jesus that they might put him to death. And they found none. Though many false witnesses came forward, at last two came forward. Basically this, they had a judgment and they were just looking for a justification. They had already ruled Jesus is going to die. Jesus has got to be taken care of. We can't have this Galilean guy parading in here with all the people and them, them praying to him. They should not be praying to him. We got to get rid of him. You can see the positional power and the relational power in intention. What was it about Jesus? What was it about him that made him so attractive that people would be willing to just of their own accord, not because they're heavy-handed, not because they're being told to do this, but they would literally choose to leave their nets and follow Jesus, leave their livelihoods and follow Jesus. What is it about Jesus? There's several things about Jesus that gives him that relational authority. One is that he healed deeper. He healed deeper, and when I say that, it's 
because of the times like in, in Mark chapter 3, whenever it was on the Sabbath day, and again, the religious leaders were kind of like ready to crack a, crack a whip on, on Jesus because he was going to heal a man's hand on the Sabbath day. They were using the law as a whip and not as a guide. And so Jesus literally heals this man's hand on the Sabbath day. And it says in Mark chapter uh, 1, verse 6, he says, they went out to destroy him. The Pharisees went out wanting to destroy him. You can go on in Luke 5, and you can find a man who's brought to Jesus, and he heals him. He's laying on a mat. He heals him physically. But then he turns to him, and he says, and your sins are forgiven. Jesus not only heals him physically, but he heals him spiritually. It's one thing to be healthy on the outside, but it's another thing to be healthy on the inside. This so angered the Pharisees. They were like, what are you doing saying that you can forgive sins unless you're the son of God? See what religion does. Religion wants to clean us up, but Jesus wants to make us new. And what what Jesus is trying to do is, I want to heal you. I want to make your whole being. I want you to be emotionally healthy. I want you to be physically healthy. I want you to love me. I want you to love others. He is really trying to heal the whole person. Jesus healed deeper, but he also taught clearer. There are many times in Scripture when the Pharisees get done teaching and everyone's uh, yawning. Sorry, I hope I'm not a Pharisee to you today. But when Jesus was done, this is things that they said about Jesus' teaching. All who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And they were amazed and said to one another, what is this word? He is like teaching in such a way that it's alive and it's real, it's life-changing. I hope that I never open this book and stand before you on any given Sunday that you don't sense and breathe the living and active Word of God. It's speaking and and it's changing and it's healing and it's guiding and it's correcting when it needs to correct. My friends, this is not something that should embalm you. It's something that should excite you. Jesus taught with a clarity that nobody else had. People's lives were changed, but he also loved better. I'm talking about that. I'm saying he loved the fringes. He loved the people on the outside. He touched the untouchables. You were told not to touch the lepers. Jesus touched the lepers. He embraced the kids. People would push kids away. They were at the lowest end of the pecking order. He, they would push kids away. Jesus would embrace the kids. Jesus elevated women to be a part of his inner circle. Luke chapter 8, verses 1 to 3. He, invited, he, called him, he was called friend of sinners in Luke chapter 7, verse 34. He elevated uh, and expected and expanded love that he calls his disciples. The number one commandment that Jesus repeats, and John ends up repeating it from Jesus' lips, is love one another. Love one another. The most commonly reported. And then he has the audacity to tell us to love our enemies. Maybe you saw this Super Bowl commercial. Maybe I'm foolish, maybe I'm blind. Thinking I can see through this and see what's behind. Got no way to prove it, so maybe I'm lying. Take a look in the mirror. 
see it clearer for all you to see in what you believe. Cause I'm only human after all. You know, you could look in our society today and see that we're having a hard time in this disruption of loving one another. If there's anybody who should be able to love one another, it's those who've been loved by Jesus. There ought to be a difference by just hanging out with Christians who have truly been changed. Their lives have been changed. They see Jesus differently. They grow deeper in their relationship with Jesus. We every day should look, listen, lead, and love a bit more like Jesus. But he disrupts the leadership structure. He disrupts the power structure of that day. Jesus also disrupts the access to God. Understand this, this access point to God, it's not been there. It's not been there. It's not been clear. It's not been established. It's been broken. Go back to Adam and Eve. They could walk with Jesus in the cool of the evening. Jesus would, God would come to them. They would walk with him. But then all of a sudden, they lived their own truth. They lived their own lie. They lived the lie of Satan, and they stepped outside, and they were kicked out of Eden. And they were living east of Eden, and ever since then, we have been trying to get back to Eden. Jesus is about bringing us back to Eden because we have been separated from God because of our lies, the life we've lived, the deception we've bought into, the passions that have driven us. We call it sin. This is what happens. Isaiah 59, verse 2, it says, Your iniquities have separated you from, or have made a separation between you and your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you, that he does not hear. Do you see stamped across that verse, access denied? There's a separation. Every last one of us, any one of us who has committed sin, which is the Bible says that's every one of us, read Romans chapter 3, there is a separation. How do we get back to a relationship? Because we just got to realize God is perfect and I'm not, and imperfect does not go with perfect. What happens is, from Leviticus all the way through the Old Testament, they are having this sacrificial system that's set up to try to connect them back to God, to try to get them back to God, to try to get them back into a relationship. And there is a high priest that is given to humanity to help connect them back to God. Here's what it says in Hebrews chapter 5. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men Women, children in relation to God. To offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. Look at that middle statement. The high priest has one very important role, and that role is to to be the bridge to connect us back to God. Now hang with me on this. This is going to get deep real fast. In the temple, there was a place that was so sacred, only one person could go one time a year. He had one task to do, and that one person was the high priest. That one person would go into this place that was called the Holy of Holies. 
And it was in the tabernacle. It was moved into the temple. It was in the first temple. It was in the second temple. It was the holy of holies. And only one time a year, one person could go in, and that one person was the high priest. So now just imagine Caiaphas. He had a very big role to play. Again, he was large and in charge. He is big deal. Now hang on to that. Because he was so important that if he were to go into the Holy of Holies on the day of called, what's called Yom, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, that when he went into the Holy of Holies, they would literally tie a rope around his leg so that if he died while he was in the Holy of Holies, they could drag him out. That's how holy that place was. That's how you and I would not go in there and no other Jew would go in there and nobody else was allowed to go in there because if you went in there, you might die. Again, the holy does not mix with the unholy, the perfect with the imperfect. The priest had to go in. Now, what happens in verse 63? Look at what Caiaphas now addresses to Jesus. And he said, I adjourn you by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ the Son of God. I want to know, are you calling yourself the Messiah? Are you calling yourself the long-awaited one? Are you calling yourself the one anointed by God who's come to take away our sins? Because Caiaphas didn't like this. He did not want anything to do with this. I don't know how much of it was job security, how, how much of it was a theological thing, but he did not want Jesus in that role. And Jesus answers back to him in kind of an Aramaic grammatical way. He said, are you the Christ, the son of the living God? Or are you the Christ? He says, but I, t- uh, but I tell you, um, or, or he said this, Jesus said to him, you have said so. Basically, what you said is true. I am the Christ. There will be people who will tell you, oh, Jesus didn't become the Christ, didn't know himself to be the Christ until 300 years after he was gone. Then it was the church that made him Christ. No, he knew who he was. And even in Caiaphas' face, he's affirming, yes, I am the Christ. And he goes on to even call himself the Son of Man, which is a reference to Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. It's a reference back to Jesus being the prophesied one that he would come. So yes, Jesus knew who he was. What's the big deal? Because where there was only one person, only one high priest, only one day a year, Only one time that a person could go into the Holy of Holies and meet with God himself in in real manifestation, it was one person. But what Jesus does is he becomes the high priest. And where access is denied, now access is granted. There was a great big curtain that separated the two where nobody else went in. But whenever Jesus is dying on the cross, earthquake, darkness comes on the earth. Matthew 27, just the next chapter over, verse 51. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom as the earth shook and the rocks were split. What was happening at that point is that division, that separation that was there is now going away. Jesus is going to be the high priest. Christ him did not exalt himself uh, to be made the high priest. He was appointed. And this beautiful thing that happens now that Jesus is the high priest, Caiaphas, you're out. In a matter of three days, Caiaphas loses his job in a very spiritual sense. And now all of a sudden, Jesus is the high priest appointed by God to be our high priest. And from this point forward to this very day, there is one God. 
And there is one mediator between us and God, and it is the man Christ Jesus. Can I get an amen? You don't need a priest, you don't need a bishop, and you don't need a pastor. And that's not job security for me. It's not my job to be your priest. It's my job to point you to the prince of peace, the high priest of Jesus, who what that what Jesus does when he dies on the cross is he grants us access, which is direct, which is full, which is free, access to God. Direct, full, immediate access to God that you can go to God at any given time. That's why he says in Hebrews chapter four, he said it like this. He said, let us go with confidence and draw near to the throne of grace. What was the goal of this series? That our confidence would grow. Let us go with confidence before the throne of grace. What does this mean to you on me, you and I on a regular basis? It means in the night when I wake up and I'm anxious in my thoughts, I can have confidence that I might be awake in that bed tossing and turning, anxious in my thoughts, but I have a heavenly Father that I have direct, I have free, I have immediate access to, and I can go to Him and He is with me. That when I or we are making hard, difficult decisions and seeking the wisdom of God, that we are not doing it alone. That God's wisdom will be there for us when we're making decisions that God's wisdom and His Spirit will counsel us, will guide us. When I'm interceding for the family that I spoke to this past week that's stuck in their marriage, feels like they can't get traction forward, and I don't have words to say because I don't have all the answers. And I just remember Luke 12, 12 when it tells me that, if, that the Spirit of God will give me the words that I need in the, in the moment that I need them. How does that happen? Because I have free, I have immediate, I have full access to God. Let us live in that reality. When I was talking with a young man who came last Sunday after last Sunday's message and realized that he was not yet a follower of Jesus, I didn't have to get in line, get a number, wait for God to answer the call back on whether or not this man could become a follower of Jesus. Right there in the cafe uh, next door here, we prayed, he became a follower of Jesus. Because we have full, we have immediate, we have continuous access to the Father. Jesus also disrupts sin, shame, and separation from God. Again, I emphasize Caiaphas, is in the unemployment line in three days. From this point right here, he is literally going to be in the unemployment line. Now, he will continue to work. He will continue to do his things. But spiritually, there's not a need for Caiaphas anymore. There's now Jesus as the great high priest. And then in this heavenly reorg, what happens? Caiaphas is out determined to kill Jesus. Jesus is offering himself. Caiaphas is wanting to censor Jesus. Jesus is completing us. In verse 66, it tells us what the verdict was from the religious council of that day. He deserves death. Here's the thing about religion versus relationship. Here's the thing about what Jesus wants to do is to to invite us into this relationship. But what religion does says you're not there yet. Religion says you're not done. Religion says you need to do. Religion says 
You've got to keep working. Islam tells, tells you in religion that you've got to go to this place and you've got to say this many prayers a day and you've got to do this good deed. You've got to do this. And then at the end of your life, inshallah, hopefully, hopefully you'll make it to the other side, to paradise. Buddhism will tell you, you've got to live the best life you can live right now because if you live the best life now, then hopefully you'll be reincarnated to a better life or you'll go down. So you've got to keep living a better life, better life, till you hopefully will reach nirvana. Mormonism will tell you that there's three heavens. We're all going to go to the bottom one. But if you're really, really good, you might make it to the third heaven. And if you make it to the third heaven, then you'll get to create your own little kingdom and be your own little God. Judaism will tell you that you've got to make sacrifices and sacrifices and sacrifices and sacrifices to cover your sin because you have not yet covered your sin. There's not been enough days of Yom Kippur in your life to cover all of your sin. But Jesus says, when religion says do, Jesus says done. When he is on the cross, Jesus said it is finished and he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. That's how done it was. Jesus Finish the task once and for all. I want us to read, because if you really want to understand the, the high priest role, which you really should, because again, we're talking about all through the Old Testament. Jesus was actually not in the order of Aaron. He was actually out of the order of Melchizedek, which is very important. Because Aaron was only a priest. Melchizedek was a priest and a king. That's important. A priest and a king. But let's say with the whole idea of the high priest that he was. He was the high priest. And what Jesus did, what he has finished and done is completed the sin, the same shame, the separation that comes out of that because we enter into a relationship with Jesus. It is done. It is complete. I want us to read some verses together. I'm going to have three sections. Again, this is participation day. All right, this section. I want us to read the longest section because you're the smartest group, all right? Okay? So we're going to read Hebrews chapter 7, 23 to 25. This section right here, we're going to read Hebrews chapter 9, 24 to 26. In this section right here, we're going to read Hebrews 10, 11 to 12. But here's the deal. I want you to pop the first passage up, guys. Whenever you come, ever, when we come to this underlined, bolded section, I want all of us to read it, Okay? So let's jump in. This section right here, the smartest ones. All right, let's, let's jump in and read it. Jesus lives forever. He has... Because he always lives to intercede for them. Unlike other high priests... All right, this section right here. Let's read Hebrews 9, 24 and through 26. You ready? Let's go. For Christ. Paul. Oh. 
And lastly, Hebrews 10, 11 and 12. Ready? Day after day, every priest stands, performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifice, which can never take away sins. But when this priest offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Now I want us to read this last verse, everyone together, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, is seated at the right hand. Listen to that. Jesus is the perfecter. It doesn't mean he has it all, all buttoned up. It means that he's completed it. In fact, some translations say that. He completed the faith. He completed the sacrifices. He's done it. It's finished once and for all. We don't have to keep going and making sacrifices. We live in it. In the reality that our faith has been taken care of, our sin, our, our shame, our separation, we have been reunited with the Father. It's like the old great hymn, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. If you ever go to Israel, and I hope you do someday. In fact, I hope to lead in 2024 another group from our church back to Israel. So save up your nickels and dimes, break into your kids' piggy banks, whatever you got to do, and let's go together. But we actually have two pastors that are going over this, uh, this next week, Russell and, and Devin, because everyone, I would say, in your spiritual pilgrimage of life needs to, if you can, go to Israel just to in, enhance and grow your faith. So been over there a couple of times, and every time it is just breathtaking in beauty, but it's also so meaningful in Scripture. I can take you to the Sea of Galilee. Man, you see the Sea of Galilee, and you see this beautiful vista, but more than a beautiful vista, what you understand is this is the place, this is the region, this is the area that Jesus did most of his miracles, most of his teaching. A lot of his disciples, if not all of his disciples, came from this area. It's like you're out in the open water and you're in the very waters in the very place that Jesus was. It is incredibly breathtaking. You go to the garden tomb and you see that and you experience the Lord's Supper there. It's so beautiful. This last year, or this last time in 2016 when we went, we went to a place that I'd never gone before, to Caiaphas' house. To Caiaphas' house. Now there's a church built on top of that now. It's not actually his house. When you go there, there's an element of that house that I did not know even existed. And since we're doing this little timeline thing, Judas betrays Jesus. In the night, he's captured, he's taken he's, as a prisoner. He's on trial in the night. In the night, he stands trial, which is kind of crazy. Peter's out in the courtyard about to deny Jesus three times. It all's happening in the night. The rooster's about to crow. All this is happening in the night. Where's Jesus? After his trial, after he's been declared by the, the Sanhedrin that he needs to die, where is Jesus? Well, the Bible says that the next morning, and we'll talk about this next week, the next morning, when the morning came, the chief priest and the elders of the people led him away and delivered him over to Pilate, the governor. We'll talk about Pilate next week. But I want to point out that this trial happened in the night. But what happened in the middle of the night? Where was Jesus? Very 
very likely where Jesus was, was he was in a dungeon. This dungeon is located in Caiaphas' house. It has a singular hole that drops down into this dungeon of darkness, of damp. You know, there's lights there now and there's stairways down now. But in that day, in that night after Jesus' first trial, knowing that he's staring at, looking around the corner, his crucifixion is just there. The time that he's been awaited for is now upon him. What was going on in Jesus' mind? When you go down to the bottom of Caiaphas' dungeon, on that little podium that you see there, are the words of a psalm. Not the words of Jesus, but the words of a psalm. Psalm 88, which they believe is a messianic psalm. A psalm pointing to the suffering of Jesus that he's going to endure. Now, can you imagine with me for a moment? Jesus has just been betrayed by one of his closest friends. Jesus has been put on trial, and Peter's outside denying him. He's alone. He's been abandoned. All of his disciples are running for their life. Jesus is in the dungeon, and we wonder if Psalm 88 was what he was thinking, feeling, emoting. My life is full of troubles, and death draws near. I am a good, I am as good as dead, like a strong man with no strength left. They have left me among the dead. I lie like a corpse in a grave. I am forgotten. I'm cut off from your care. You have thrown me into the lowest pit, into the darkest depths. Your anger weighs me down. You have driven my friends away by making me repulsive to them. I am in a trap with no way of escape. My eyes are blinded by my tears. Would you bow your heads with me? I have to believe as Jesus was willingly giving up his life, he was about to die physically, have been beaten within a lash of his own life, having been mocked, having been spit upon, having his beard plucked from him. None of that's happened yet. He's not carried his cross up the hill. He's not been pierced. He's not had the crown of thorns put on him. All he's done is experienced a kangaroo court and thrown into a dungeon. I have to believe that Jesus is dying from the inside out. Before he will ever die physically, you see, you feel, you sense that Jesus is dying from the inside out. Why? 
because he is not only our high priest, he is our final sacrifice. The final and complete sacrifice. If you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus, he's not inviting you to religion. He's inviting you into a relationship. Right where you are, with your head bowed, maybe you're like Tyler who came to me last week ready to give his life to Jesus. Right here where you're sitting, you just tell Jesus, Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I want you. Jesus, I'm giving my life to you. Not because you're the positional leader of the world, because you're a relational leader who invites me in. You bled, you died, and you rose again. And I believe in you, Jesus. I give my life to you. If you can pray any prayer, something like that, do not leave here today without telling someone. Tell a pastor, tell, come tell Lori and I. And the, this, is, this is incredible season to bring clarity and confidence and a deeper love for Jesus. Father God, have your way. That's my prayer. Have your way. Thanks for listening to the Grace Point Church Podcast. To stay up to date on all things GPC, follow us at Grace Point NWA on Facebook or Instagram. As you go, be people who show and share Jesus in everyday conversations with everyday people. Live Scent.